Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand are the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now some say the seven churches of Asia represent seven very distinct periods in history. I think a lot of that comes out of the Protestant Reformation and Protestantism, and of course we are not Protestants. True Baptists began before the Reformation, and we never came out of Catholicism, and so we don't consider ourselves certainly Protestants. Another idea is that the seven churches of Asia picture seven distinct and dominant characteristics of churches, again, that coincide with those seven periods of history. Here's an example. If that's so, then the dominant characteristic of the first century churches would be that of the church at Ephesus. We're going to look at the church at Ephesus in just a moment. And with that being so, the dominant characteristic of this age would be what? Laodicea. And I can believe that. We have a lot of Laodicean type churches in our world today. But I believe that these seven churches represent seven I call them behaviors, seven distinct characteristics that have existed in all ages and all churches, and a particular characteristic being dominant in a church. Example, if a church was an Ephesian type of church, then the characteristic of the church at Ephesus that the Lord mentions would be the characteristic of that church. If a church were primarily a Laodicean type of church, that would be, but there might be others in the church who didn't have that attitude. They might have the attitude of one of the other seven churches. So I hope you follow exactly what I'm saying. Now, we're dealing with true churches here. We're not dealing with religion. We're not dealing with so-called Christianity in general. We're dealing with the Lord's churches. And we're going to look at five negative behaviors the title of the message is Five Behaviors That the Lord Does Not Want in His Churches. And we're going to try very quickly this morning, and I'm going to have to move quickly, to cover these five behaviors that the Lord does not want in His churches. We commonly refer to Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as the letters to the seven churches of Asia. 
But folks, they apply just as much to us today as they did to those seven churches in Asia. So as we look at these dominant characteristics, dominant behaviors, we need to ask ourselves what kind of church are we? What is the dominant characteristic or behavior of this church? And then what is the dominant behavior, the dominant characteristic in my life as a child of God? Now the first thing I want to point out is that these letters are addressed first to the angel of the church, literally the pastor of the church. The word angel is the word angelos. Angelos means messenger. So the messenger of the church would be the pastor. He was to share these messages with the church. I just like to point out, y'all know you got an angel for a pastor. So, okay. But they're addressed to the churches. Why, why would the Lord address it to the pastor to be given to the church? Because the pastor's got to get it in his life and in his heart before he can ever deliver it to God's people. The very first church we look at, and we're not going to read all of the letters. We're just going to pick out verses to these letters to point out the characteristic that the Lord talks about. And I've mentioned the very first church is that church at Ephesus. What was the characteristic, dominant behavior of the church at Ephesus? We would call it lovelessness. Now, first of all, the church at Ephesus was a doctrinally sound church. You've got to get that. The Lord does not condemn their stand for his word, on his word, for the truth. Look at verse 2. He said, they could not bear them which are evil. He said, they had tried them which say they are apostles and are not. In verse 6, he said, they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and we'll discuss them in a little bit. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which he said, I also hate. So here's a church that says, we're going to stand on the word of God. We are going to stand for the truth. As far as the word of God was concerned, they were as solid as a rock, doctrinally. Unfortunately, we have folks today who say it really doesn't matter what else you believe as long as you're right on salvation. Now, I will admit to you the most important thing to somebody who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior is to be saved. And you've got to be right on salvation. A church that wants to add things, baptism, church membership, good works to the grace of God, I don't have any time for them. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But once somebody is saved, they don't need to hear about salvation anymore, or how to be saved anymore. They're saved, they're saved, they're sealed, they're secure. What they need to know about is scriptural baptism. Scriptural baptism is the first act of obedience to God after one comes to know Christ as Savior. And so now we have somebody that's saved. We have somebody that's scripturally baptized. What do they need now? They need to learn to serve the Lord faithfully through a scriptural New Testament church, through one of his churches. That's the proper order, and that's the way the Lord desires things. Now again, the Lord complimented this church. You're right on some things. You're doctrinally sound. But then what does he say down here in verse 4? He said, nevertheless. Can you imagine hearing that word in the middle of a lot of compliments? Well, you're nice and, and you're good and, and you're doing right, but, okay, <laughs> nevertheless. And the Lord gives them this compliment and then he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. There's some things that aren't right. There's a lot of things that are right, but there's some things that aren't right. And how many wrongs does it take to be wrong? One. You can have everything else right and be wrong in one thing and just be wrong. 
And he said they had done what? They had left their first love. Now we know what first love is. We've talked about it a bunch. I've preached about it a lot. First love is honeymoon love. It is that love that a young married couple feels for one another. It's that love that when they fall in love, okay, that people, young people especially, are just so in love. Now sadly, what happens a lot of times in marriages, as you get older and older, you've been married longer and longer, that love doesn't last. For whatever reason, maybe couples get busy, maybe who knows what happens, and they just divide, they fall apart, and they fall out of love, they say, with one another. They grow apart and they divorce. You know what has happened? They have lost the thrill of that relationship that they had when they first got married. Something has entered in, something has destroyed that thrill of just becoming husband and wife or being boyfriend and girlfriend. So here's a church that's lost the thrill. You think it ought to thrill us to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ? You think it ought to thrill us to be right with the Lord, to be true to his word and be serving him? It ought to. But our relationship with the Lord ought to thrill us also. Just think. Before we were saved, we were children of the devil. We were going away from God. And yet God saved us. And remember what it was like to have first been saved? Somebody said it this way. Vince Havner said it this way. We've lost the wonder. We've lost the wonder of what it means to be a child of God. Have you ever watched a child? I mean a little child. I remember our son when he was very young. We'd take him out in the yard and he did the grass this way. What is this stuff, you know, I'm sitting on? And it was different to him. Our nephew mentioned this one time. He said, we just, we get ready to tie our shoes and we just tie our shoes. But a child has to, what? Learn to tie a shoe and he has to do it over and over again. It's sort of a wonder to him. And so a child will be filled with wonder. And a child of God, a new child of God will be filled with wonder also. Have you ever watched somebody who's just been saved? First of all, they want to tell everybody they've been saved. I've just come to know Christ as Savior. They want to tell other people about Jesus. They want to study the Word of God. They want to learn what God's Word has for them. They want to see the direction in the Word of God that He has for us. And they want to fellowship with other of God's people. This is what concerns me about the Lord's churches today. We have inflated membership roles and we have very few that want to come together and to fellowship with one another. Folks, there's a problem. A child of God will want to fellowship with other children of God. He'll want to be around where the word of God is being preached. And when that's not happening in churches, I don't know exactly what it tells us, but it gives us a sign that we need to worry about some things or be concerned about some things. But it explains what has happened in so many lives. I use the term, that I have to explain sometimes. I said, we've, we've, we've just been saved too long. We've been saved so long we take it for granted. I was saved as a child. I'm an old man now. Folks, I've been, thank you. Folks, I've been saved a long time. And it's real easy to get over the thrill. It's easy for life to become mundane and it's easy for life just to become everyday life. And what happens in the Lord's churches is we get just like an old married couple. Now, if you don't know what an old married couple looks like, just watch me and Joni, okay? We're an old married couple. (laughs) 
We know each other well. We know what the other's going to do. We almost, see, I've told people a wife knows her husband so well, she can tell him what he's going to think before he ever gets a chance to think it. <laughs> and men know what that means. But just watch couples that have been married a long time. There's a comfortableness. It's almost, I've heard this illustration, it's almost like an old pair of shoes. You, you just like them. You don't think about them. You just like them. And we've been married so long, it's just we're used to life with one another. And that happens to God's people. We get used to coming to church. It's no longer a thrill to come on Sunday morning. It's what I do on Sunday morning. No, it ought to thrill us. Do I, I hope you see, and it's not an act, but do I act happy when I'm here? Amen. But see, it's just a thrill to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to be here under the Word of God. And this is one of the reasons that our worship no longer excites us. It ought to excite us. It ought to thrill us to come and worship God. And that's why somebody who gets stirred up with the Word of God and with the worship of God is sometimes looked upon as an oddity. I love this quote from Vance Havner. I've shared it for years and years and years, but he said, we are so subnormal that if we ever became normal, we'd be thought abnormal. Okay? And that's the way the Lord's churches are today. We have become embedded in the world so that we think, act, have the attitude of the world, and we just can't get thrilled about faithfully serving God. Where's your first love? What is your first love? Do you have that honeymoon love for the Lord Jesus Christ today, or have you been saved for so long that it's just become old hat? The first characteristic or behavior that the Lord does not want in his churches is this characteristic of lovelessness, of losing our honeymoon love. Number two is found in Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 12, and that is the church at Pergamos. Pergamos literally means twice married. The church at Pergamos was a church that tried to be married to Christ and to the world at the same time. But you know what Jesus said about that? Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't hold on to God with this hand and the world with this hand and be pleasing to the Lord. Amen. And that's what this church at Pergamos was trying to do. Well, okay, we'll serve you. You know, sort of like what Israel wanted to do with worshiping God and worshiping idols at the same time. 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now this word for love in 1 John chapter 2 is that agape, agape, however you want to say it, self-sacrificing type of love. And see, if it's a self-sacrificing type of love, it's an exclusive love. If God is number one and you have this type of love for him, there's no place for that which is opposed to God. And so it's very, very exclusive. It's self-sacrificing. I will give up other things to worship God. Well, what's the chief characteristic of Pergamos? It's laxity and tolerating worldliness and false doctrine in the church. I mean, just look at what it says. They turn, and, and they're doing what many churches today are doing. Joni and I were talking about this just recently. So many want the worship service to be an entertainment service. That's not what we're here to do. And I'm not entertaining. You can say amen to that, too. I am not entertaining. 
I'm trying to preach the Word of God. Maybe that's why so many just don't want to show up on Sunday morning and rather not hear the Word of God. They want to be entertained. I don't know. But that's what was going on in this church at Pergamos. They had turned worship into entertainment and they were trying to advance the church through worldly means. Do you realize that the Lord has given us a way to advance His church? Amen. To grow His church? You know what it is? You know where it's found? Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach or disciple all nations. Okay? You can't make a disciple out of a lost person so you've got to witness to somebody and bring them to the Lord and then what are we supposed to do? See that they're scripturally baptized and we to teach them to observe or to do everything that Christ has commanded. That's how the Lord has told us that his churches need to grow. Not through worldly marketing programs and other types of programs. And there are preachers today who don't want to preach the truth. They'd rather not, you know, the truth is offensive. If you preach the truth, you're going to offend somebody and they're not going to like it. Listen, folks, if I preach it and it's scriptural, don't come to me complaining about it. You take it to God. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one who gives you that direction. Now, there were some in this church at Pergamos that were faithful but the church existed where Satan's seat is. That talks about the center of Satan's power upon this earth. Pergamos must have been a hotbed. The city itself must have been a hotbed of idol worship and worldliness and false doctrine. And the Lord, we talk today about, well, talking about missionaries. Oh, well, he's on a tough field. Tough field? How would you like to pastor a church or pastor a mission that was right where Satan's seat was? That was in the center of of Satan's power and activity. Listen, we don't have any tougher fields today. In fact, we have it a lot easier and a lot better today as God's people and as the Lord's churches than these folks in the book of Revelation or throughout the New Testament had it. Amen. We don't have a government hounding us if we witness of Christ. We don't have somebody saying you mu yet, saying you must say that Caesar is Lord. I almost came up with another name. I won't do that. But you don't have people saying that. We have, at this moment in America, the liberty to worship God in spirit and in truth the way the Bible teaches us to. Amen. But here's what happens. Satan tries to assimilate believers. Brother Truman pointed out in the class, and very much so, Satan tries to assimilate us as believers into this evil society. And a lot of times we don't even recognize it. We don't even recognize the worldliness that we are allowing into our lives and maybe even into the Lord's churches. Satan will oppose any church that desires to stand for God and for his word. Yeah. And I tell you what, I think I've seen him come against this church. That's why I keep saying you pray that God will keep Satan from causing trouble in this church. The Lord praised the faithful in the church at Pergamos. They had some faithful folks. But then he said, I have a few things against thee because they were guilty of at least two false doctrines. You know what those were? The doctrine of Balaamism and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What is Balaam? Well, it's identified by three distinct behaviors. First of all, the wisdom of the world. You remember what Balak, when he hired Balaam to curse the Israelites, what Balaam said to Balak, he tried to show him how to use God to curse his own people. 
You just get Israel to go against God and God will curse them. And so he tried to use some worldly wisdom and use God for his own evil ends. And then there's the worship of the world. Who introduced the worship of Baal into Israel? Balak did, but Balaam showed him how to do it. Just get the Israelites to intermarry with the, your people and worship your gods. And their God will punish them, will correct them. And so he taught him the worship of the world. And then there's the wickedness of the world because he taught them to commit through the wisdom of Balaam, speaking to Balak, he taught them how to get God's people to commit fornication and bring God's chastisement home. That's Balaamism. Just be worldly. Just worship the world. Just do what the world says. Don't worry about what the Word of God says. Just do, you know, years ago, there was this saying, you may have heard it, if it feels good, do it. Well, that's Balaamism. Okay, if it feels good, do it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We've heard it recently, but listen. And be not conformed to this world. This world is constantly trying to conform God's people to it. Every time they show an ad on TV or there's a television program or some news program even, they're trying to conform people to this world. This world has a mold. This world has a desire. And Satan wants us to conform to this world. And the Word of God says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what does renewing talk about? Renovation. Listen, Satan is battling for this right here. Amen. Satan wants your mind. Satan wants my mind. And if he can get our minds, folks, he's got our bodies. Because your body can't do anything except what your mind tells it to do. My mind says lift your right arm. And guess what? Okay? You have to be careful. The world is attempting to get God's people to conform. And you know what? It is doing it. It's getting the Lord's churches to conform to the world. And then the other one is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's sort of a lack of dependence upon God and dependence upon man. Now in my notes I call it preacher rule, okay? Preacher, you got to tell us. We need somebody to tell us what's right and what's wrong. We need somebody to tell us what to do. We don't know what to do. Preacher, what is God's will for my life? Get in the Word of God. You'll find it. You say, well, well, where do I find it? Well, I'll just give you a few places where you will find the, the will of God in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is the will of God? That we'd be sanctified, we'd be set apart to Him. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's God's will for my life? In the midst of everything, thank God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. God wants us to do His will. He wants us to do good. There's the will of God. You will find the will of God in the Word of God. You're not going to get it from some, well, you're not going to get it from some psychic. <laughs> you know, I love to watch those ads. They can tell you in a minute. If they know so much, why do they have to ask your name when you call? Amen. And why do they have to ask for a credit card number when you call? See, 
They don't know everything. But it's not going to come from some astral type of vision or whatever to, oh my, that's the will of God? No. The will of God will come through the word of God. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans also destroys the headship of Christ in the church because it looks to a man for direction instead of God for direction. I get amazed. People treat the preacher, treat the pastor like he's the, the boss man of the church. Pardon my grammar, folks. I ain't. Okay? I don't own this church. I don't even run this church. You know who the head of this church is? And better be Jesus Christ. It's his bought and paid for by his blood. I've got to hurry on. The third church is in Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 18. Verse 18 through verse 29. He had a lot to say to the church at Thyatira and their chief characteristic we've got so far lovelessness, laxity, now liberalism. Because one leads to the other. You can see a progression here. The church at Thyatira has been called the liberal church because of its attitudes toward the truth. Now Thyatira was known for its its heathen religions and its pagan feasts and all of those sorts of things. And a church set in that city. Thyatira means to weary or to wear out with sacrifice. You ever think God gets tired of our quote unquote worship that's not from here. It's just from about here up instead of from the heart up. Go and read the first chapter of Isaiah. Read what God says to Israel. He says, I'm sick and tired of your sacrifices. I'm, I'm tired of all these special times that you have. Because their heart wasn't in it. They were just going through the motions. And he said, when you pray, I'm not even going to listen anymore. Now, folks, that's sad. That was sad for Israel, and it is sad for one of the Lord's churches. In verse 19, the Lord compliments their works. Listen, he compliments their charity, their service, their faith, their patience. And then in verse 20, he says, yet I have a few things against you. See, I'm not talking about churches that weren't serving the Lord here. I'm talking about churches that were going through the motion, trying to serve them. They were doing some good things, but they weren't what the Lord wanted them to be. And listen, a church can be full of activity and be wrong. Amen. Activity does not make us right. You know what makes us right? It's our relationship and our fellowship with the Lord. When we're doing His will, when we're doing what He wants us to do, that's what will make us right. Now, where Pergamos had those who held false doctrine, you know what they did at Thyatira? They taught it. They allowed it to be taught. Listen, thou sufferest that woman Jezebel to teach. Now, we're all familiar with Jezebel. I don't know of anybody in this world today who names their child Jezebel. And if they do, I'd, I'd want to talk to that. Why are you naming your child that? Don't you know what Jezebel was like? She was evil. She was devious. She was demonic. She was devilish. And she sought to go against everything. She was a, an idol worshiper. And so now we have a Jezebel, not obviously the same one. We don't even know for sure if it was a woman or not, but we have a Jezebel teaching in this church at Thyatira. And this was a false teacher. This was a troublemaker in the church who just went against everything that the Word of God taught. I just pray that God will keep all troublemakers out of this church, folks. I pastored troublemakers in my time. I don't want to face any more of them. 
But Satan will do his best to get the Jezebels in this church. This woman, this man, whatever it was, got into the church and got a teaching position in the church. Listen, a church had better know its teachers and had better know its leaders. Now this word know that I'm going to read in, about in, verse, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, this word know means to know fully, to know completely. Listen to this. And we beseech your brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. You know what many churches call a pastor based on? Two sermons and a 15-minute question and answer session if he says all the right things. I said, was it Wednesday night? I said, look... If I were a false teacher and I wanted to pastor this church and lead this church astray and somebody would say, do you believe these 22 or however many there are things that are listed in our Sunday school book that we say we believe? Oh, yes, I do. I would tell you that I do. if I were a false teacher and wanted to get in. So you need to check up on teachers. You need to check up on preachers and be very careful. And I'm just going to say this. I don't think many preachers listen to my sermons. But just in case some do, if you don't preach the truth and stand for the truth, you're not welcome in this pulpit. I will not invite you to come here and preach the word of God to the people that God has given me to pastor. You say, boy, you're being bold. Well, there's only way to be this day and age. Check out everything I say. And check out everything every teacher says and every preacher says by the word of God. I'm not offended when you say, somebody corrected me the other night because I got all confused when I was talking about the Good Samaritan and, you know, all of that. And, and y'all corrected me and I appreciate it because my mind was not functioning that night. But know the Word of God. Know what the Bible teaches. So if somebody stands up here and says something that's contrary to the Word of God, you can say, no. That it. If you have to stop in the middle of a sermon, do it. Don't stand for error to be taught from this pulpit. So you're getting extreme, aren't you, preacher? Amen. Time to be extreme, isn't it? By the way, an honest teacher won't mind being checked out by the Word of God. And look what this Jezebel was doing. Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed to idols. To seduce means to lead astray. To commit fornication is spiritual fornication. It's to play the harlot with the word of God. And eat things sacrificed to idols is to participate in false worship. Listen, folks. False doctrine is stubborn. Don't think Satan will give up because we withstood him one time. How many doors are there to this building? <laughs> or to this, to this sanctuary? Well, Satan will try to come in every one of them more than once. Know the Word of God. Number four, Revelation chapter three. One of my favorite churches to talk about, the church at Sardis. It was a lifeless church. That's their characteristic. Here's a dead church. Listen to what the Lord says. Under the angel of the church at Sardis, write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. The root meaning of the word Sardis means flesh or fleshly. Here's a church where either the Holy Spirit was not in control or the Holy Spirit wasn't even present. God threatened Ephesus with what? Removal of their candlestick. Their authority to exist and operate as a church. 
Possibly the removal of that leadership that we're talking about. And listen, we have a lot of spiritually dead churches today. Amen. I may have pastored one or two of them. And it's a horrible thing. It's a sad thing to see a spiritually dead church. They're just going through the motions. They're just having services. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And I've mentioned this before, but look at verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. You imagine the Lord being put outside one of his churches and knocking on the door and asking permission to come into one of his churches, one that he shed his blood for. But that's the picture in this third chapter of the book of Revelation. Churches like that are dead. They're void of Holy Spirit power. Their worship and their operation is going to be done in the power of the flesh and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm so thankful that there have been people who have said to me after they visited this church, I could feel the presence of God's Spirit in those services. Amen. You don't know how important that is. Maybe you do. But folks, that's vitally important. Somebody comes in here and this is just another meeting with some guy getting up in the pulpit and ranting and raving and that's all it is and there's no Holy Spirit presence or power. You've wasted your time. Thankful for the Holy Spirit's presence. Don't assume that because the Lord called this church dead that there wasn't anything going on in the church. What did he say? Verse 1, I know your works. I know your works. Works talks about deeds. It talks about the labor. And then he said, that thou hast a name that thou livest. There was apparently enough happening in this church at Sardis. By the way, I've only heard of one church named Sardis. I don't know why you'd name your church Sardis. Might as well name your church Laodicea and name it Sardis. But I know of one church named Sardis. I could tell you where it is. I'm not right now. But apparently there was enough going on there that the world looked at them and said, man, that's a that's a, a busy church. That's an active church. There's a lot going on right there. It doesn't matter how the world assesses it. What matters is how God assesses it. Right. There was a lot going on. You know, you go by churches today and almost every day of the week they got something. You see cars in their parking lot. They got something going on. I've never been in favor of doing something every day in the week. And you know why? Because folks need to spend some time with their families at night also. Husbands need to be with wives. Parents need to be with children. So there needs to be some time that they can do that and not have something going on and pulling people out of the church house every night just so it looked like we're doing something. I didn't expect any amens. A church like Sardis is a church, a lot of times, you've got a name that you live, but you did, is a church that lives on past reputation. I've pastored enough churches that I know you go as pastor in your first year there, somebody will come up to you and say, I remember when Brother So-and-so was pastor here. And the building was full. And every time they gave the invitation, bunches of people just walked the aisle. Some filled the altar praying. Many came and were saved. And also for such wonderful days. And I want to say, why aren't they now? you got a man that's preaching the word of God now 
And that brother back then did, and people responded, there's something going on in the church. A lot of churches today live on their past glory. They're sort of like those folks in the book of Ezra, chapter 3. Remember when they built Zerubbabel's temple? And all the old timers looked at it and said, man, it's not what it used to be. It'll never measure up. It's not as big as it was. I love what God says. I'll fill this temple with greater glory than Solomon's temple ever saw. It's not people, folks. It's God. Here's what it means to be alive in name only. We're going to try to finish up pretty quickly here. It means to be void at least of the power, if not the presence of God. 2 Timothy 3.5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And that's the way a lot of churches are today. They just have the form of godliness. Remember when Samson went out after he'd gotten his hair cut? And he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. And there's a lot of churches today, the Lord departed from them, they don't even know it. They're sardis. They may be busy in activities, but you know what that is? That's playing church. I don't like to play church. I'm going to ask you a very serious question. I want you to think on it. When was the last time you recognized the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit in a worship service in this church? Not some other church. This church. It means they were playing at serving God. I've not found thy works perfect, God said, or complete, or, or what they ought to be. They didn't carry out God's purpose. They didn't meet with his approval in the things that they did. That's what it's saying. They did something and called it worship, but it was unacceptable. They sang, but they're just singing songs. Do you ever pay attention to the words of the song? Brother Rick does a great job of picking out the music. Amen. I mean, he's a deacon. I've got to keep him on my side. I'll compliment him. No, seriously. Wonderful songs, but do we pay attention to the words that we're singing? Vance Havner said one time, if we did pay attention, some of us might just have to close our mouths and not sing. Amen. They were just having church as usual. I don't ever want to have church as usual, folks. I don't think God wants us to. And there was a general attitude of disinterest. Sardis may have had a large attendance, but for all the wrong reasons. Maybe some came to be entertained. Maybe some came to see who was there and what they were wearing or whatever it may be. Maybe some just came out of habit. You know, it's Sunday. What do you do on Sunday? You go to church, right? And maybe some came just to see what's happening. I wonder how many came to Sardis to worship the Lord. They seem to have been more concerned with acceptance by man than acceptance by God. We've got one more and we're going to end right here. Lukewarmness. We're familiar with this church. I don't need to say a whole lot about Laodicea, do I? I said, I think we're probably living in the Laodicean age. Laodicea means the rights of the people. Laodicea was a church where the people ruled instead of God ruling. You know what we like to say? A Baptist church is the purest form of democracy upon this earth. Every member has a voice and every member has a vote. And that's true. But we don't need to be a democracy, folks. We need to be a theocracy where God rules we assume when we take a vote that everybody's prayed about it and everybody knows what God's will is and everybody's going to vote God's will. But have you ever seen people oppose one another in a Baptist church? 
Does God have divided will? <laughs> you know, somebody's not getting the message here, I guess. They were satisfied with their present service and their spiritual condition. A synonym might be complacent. Joseph Thayer, who is a Greek lexicographer, said this, It is used of the condition of a soul wretchedly fluctuating between a torpor and a fervor of love. And I said, well, what's a torpor? Word I've never seen before. It's a state of mental and motor activity with partial or total insensibility, extreme sluggishness, or stagnation of function. Dullness, apathy, lethargy. That church at Laodicea is kind of lazy. And you know what the Lord's churches today are? It's somebody else's job to do this or this or this. Well, let the preacher, let the Sunday school teacher, let the deacons do it. If you are a member of this church, you have a responsibility before God. To do what God's word tells you to do. To be a witness. To invite. To encourage people to come. If they're saved to come and be baptized. You just have that responsibility. At Laodicea they were lacking dedication and sanctification and witness. They were not spiritually minded and they weren't spirit controlled. Well how do you know that? Well just look at what they said about themselves. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We don't need anything. And you know what the Lord said? The Lord said, you say and know not that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You, don't, you can't even see what you need because you're so spiritually blind. Many churches today and many of them are the Lord's churches are basking in their own glory and not glorifying God. We don't want to be that church, folks. We don't want to be any of these five churches. Some churches are religious country clubs or religious nightclubs seeking to entertain or be entertained and consider themselves self-sufficient and independent from the Lord. We can't do anything, folks, without God Amen. and without the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the Lord's churches, even though they're doctrinally sound and straight as an arrow, spiritually, they're as cold as ice and as hard as a rock. Lovelessness, laxity, Liberalism, lifelessness, lukewarmness, behaviors, attitudes, characteristics that the Lord does not want in this church or any of his churches. Jesus addressed those churches, all seven, but especially these five, Jesus addressed them and he promised correction. I like what he says, I think it's Thyatira, he says, I will come to you and I will fight against them. You want the Lord bringing a battle into this church to fight against some in this church who are not serving him? Be careful. But he promises correction and he promises chastisement with the same warning and the same cure to each one of them. Here's the warning. Here's the caution. Repent or else. Very simple. Repent or else. And then here's the cure. And this is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, repent, and return. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember, talk about the glory days. Remember what it was like in the glory days? Repent that you've fallen from it. And then he says, return and do the first works. That's the cure for any church that finds itself in this condition. And why does the Lord correct his churches? One more verse very quickly. And that's chapter 3 and verse 19. Look at what he says. As many as I love, I rebuke 
and chasten. Why does the Lord give the preacher messages like this? It's his rebuke. Now, if it was just Brother Jim standing up here, you know, I got a few things I want to get off my chest today. That, that'd be Jim, Brother Jim. Okay? But when it comes from the Word of God, it's God rebuking. It's God chastening. Rebuke means to prove guilty, to reprimand. To chasten means to train up and educate. The Lord wants us to be right because He loves us. With this message, I said, let's take a look at ourselves, individually and as a church, to determine if we need to remember, to repent, and to return. Because you know what? I don't like the or else. Or else I'll remove your candlestick. Or else I'll come to you and fight against them. Or else, or else, no, I don't like the or else. I like the Lord's blessings. God's been blessing us. We've seen people saved. We've seen people baptized. We look forward to seeing more of that. Amen. But folks, we just got to be what God wants us to be.